We stopped serving religion for one Sunday to see what would happen. I'm sorry, sir, we no longer carry religion. You can't do that. No, 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 no. I just want my religion and a Diet Coke. They're not gonna give me my religion. I'm not coming here twice a year anymore. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm not gonna bring my family here anymore. Yeah, there's just no reason for us to come here. Can I take your order? We want to order religion. Yeah, supernatural that, please. I'm sorry, we've discontinued religion. May I speak to your senior pastor, please? Right now, in the name of Jesus. People freaked. Get me my religion! All right, that's what it might look like if you showed up at church. And no longer get served religion. Welcome to week two of a series called Losing My Religion. It's our hope over the next few weeks as we look at a, one book in the Bible and talk about how people were dealing with religion. I hope you decide to get rid of your religion and live the life you're meant to live. Because God did not mean for anybody to live a life that was burdened down with religion. This definition I gave you last week, if you're taking notes, write this down, of religion is... To, is any reliance on systems or institutions, rules or rituals as our conduit to God. Today, I hope you lose your religion and find the freedom that God designed you to live with. A few years ago, a guy named Frank Warren sent out 3,000 postcards, and they were just blank, self-addressed, and just had a simple instructions. Make a piece of art out of, this, out of this postcard and write a secret that you have that nobody knows about. He received hundreds of pieces of art, a little postcard size, with hundreds and hundreds of secrets written on them. Four books later, people are still sending him secrets. Four or three million hits a month on his website, postsecrets.com. People sharing their secrets. Some are really funny. Some are kind of weird. So if you, parents, go to that website with your kids. Don't let them. Trust me. I, meant, I didn't mean to say the website, but it's, I'm not going to say it again. But here's some of the secrets. Here's the funny ones. I talk in the kitchen and pretend I have my own cooking show. I use cuss words for passwords to embarrass tech support. My secrets. These are the ones that other people wrote. I just picked these out of the book. You weren't thinking that, I hope. Any, every year during the Easter pageant, I get a crush on whoever plays Jesus. These sounded so much funnier when I was writing them down. But, okay, last one, last funny one. I got a parking ticket, and so did the car next to me, and I switched the tickets and got mine. I got, Switched the tickets and mine got paid, and the other person's got sent to postsecrets.com. Some of them are sad. I learned how to be bulimic by watching a TV documentary. I left my spouse by way of a text message. I truly believe all my problems would be solved if I weren't fat. I'm better than you, Dad, because I don't beat my kids. I say marriage isn't for me, but what I really mean is I don't think anyone will ever love me. I work out hard because I know you would probably leave me if I didn't. Right before the procedure, they said 
twins. I've been haunted every day since. See, we all carry around secrets. And this author, Frank Warren, was really onto something. He thought, well, what if people could just anonymously give their secrets about the things they carry just beneath the surface, about the baggage they might carry in their life? What if they could just write those down? He goes on to say, we don't just have our secrets, our secrets have us. And then in comes the guilt. And where religion comes into that is, religion doesn't help release any guilt. Religion doesn't help release any baggage. In fact, it adds to it. It adds to the baggage and the guilt that you were never designed to carry. This series that I'm going through is based on a book in the New Testament called Colossians. There's some Bibles going up and down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. We like to make sure everybody that wants a Bible or needs one has one. We believe the words in there can lead you into the knowledge of how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So take one. You can read along in there or you can follow along on the screen. But this book of Colossians is just a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people in a, in a town, part of the Roman Empire, called Colossae. And Colossae was a very religious town. There were people there who had accepted the message of Christ, but there were also all these other competing religions. Religions that were to, to pagan gods, religions that were to, to some Greek mythology gods, and just all these different ways of living and sacrificing and all these different temples, some religions that, that, that just had this really strict rule-following way about them, some that had no rules, just do whatever you want, whenever you want. And what people were doing, which is the reason he wrote this letter, they were mixing the two. They were saying, well, I want to follow Christ, but I also want to dabble in these other religions. I also want to do this ritual or these rule followings or, or whatever it is, because religious leaders of that day were telling them, that's what you need to do. And the Apostle Paul responds to them in this book of Colossians chapter 1 and says this about Jesus Christ. He was supreme in the beginning and he's supreme in the end. He's telling them Christ is over all this stuff. All that stuff that you're hearing about. All that stuff that people are saying you've got to follow these things before you're okay before God. Having Jesus is okay but you've got to have a little bit of this over on this side. He was saying, no, Jesus is over, supreme over all of that. Other gods, other traditions, other things that competed for their faith and their spiritual affection. Yeah, but what's that got to do with us today? How many things in our life compete for the spiritual affection that God expects and offers each of us? How many times, I wonder, do people think, Okay, I've got Christ in my life, or maybe I've started going to church, but there, there's all these other things that if I can just get those inserted in my life, things will be better. Maybe it's materialistic, maybe it's not, but whatever. Maybe if I could buy this or, or, or have this or, or get this relationship, then that and Christ, I'll be okay. That's essentially what those people were doing 2,000 years ago. They were doing the same thing a lot of people do today. They were saying, I want this, Christ, but I also want this other stuff. Because without this other stuff, life is not as much fun. Maybe that you think life doesn't mean as much. So the same thing they were dealing with then, in a different form, is the same thing people deal with 
today and people walk around with secrets just beneath the surface because they don't let anybody know the real them, really who they are. And the Apostle Paul is trying to say, Christ alone is enough. Not Christ plus this house, not Christ plus this job, not Christ plus this relationship. Jesus Christ alone is enough. These people were dealing with guilt. Maybe you walked in today dealing with guilt. And guilt's not a bad thing in small doses. If it weren't for guilt, how would you ever know if you were doing anything wrong? I mean, feeling guilty is good in a small dose. Feeling guilty can cause you to take the first step to heal a relationship that's broken. Feeling guilty can cause you to take the first step to end an addiction. Feeling guilty can motivate you to say the words, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So, and feeling guilty can motivate you to take the first step to change your life. So we deal with guilt today. They were dealing with guilt back then. And in this small town called Colossae, they were covering people over with guilt. Because too much guilt is bad. And the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter knew that. That's why he said this in Colossians chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you still submit to its rules? What he's trying to say to them is, look, some people think this day special, some th- think that day special, you're, you're, you're keeping a, a Sabbath day, you're resting the way God told you to rest. Don't let people judge you because you're saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ. Don't let people disqualify you because they're they're worshiping angels and and, and they're going off on all these other gods. Don't let anybody disqualify you. See, all religions have this in common. They prey on the guilt and the shame that we tend to allow to come into our life and carry around. And like us, these people had secrets. They'd done things they they, they weren't proud of. And they realized they couldn't get rid of it on their own, but they didn't know how, so they were turning to religion in hopes that maybe this is the way I can get rid of my guilt. And they're continually reminded, no, Jesus Christ is the way you can get rid of your guilt. That word disqualify comes from a Greek word. The New Testament was originally all written in Greek and translated into into English, and the Greek word for disqualify is a is a hard to pronounce word, katabrabeo. And it just means he who makes a call against you. It means an umpire. So they had these spiritual umpires saying, you're out, strike, you're safe, whatever. And he's trying to explain to them, don't let somebody else disqualify you for what God has called you into. Don't let somebody else say, do this in order to make things right between you and God or the gods. It'll, it'll do these five things and it'll make up for everything that you've done. So naturally people thought, well, if you're making the call, if you're the call maker, if you're the umpire and, and you know, you're telling me what to do, I'll just focus on the outside. 
I'll just make the outside look really good. I'll just, I'll just obey all these certain rules and rituals and religions and sacrifice. I'll just do all that and get it looking real good on the outside and nobody will ever know what's really on the inside and the pain and the hurt and the baggage and the shame and the guilt. How many people walk around every day making it all look okay on the outside? But just beneath the surface, if they could, there was a secret. There would be a secret that they wanted to share to release the guilt and the baggage. See, what religion does, whether it's religion you find in church or the religion of a relationship or the religion of a career, whatever, whatever what religion does, religion covers up the real you. And maybe you're still investigating church. Maybe you haven't decided what you believe about Jesus Christ yet. I hope you never get to a place where you think that religion is going to be the answer. I remember being forced, (laughs) pulled to church as as a young teenager and hating it. Because what I saw when I went into the church building, it smelled bad. It, it, it just all these old people, and they probably were like 40, like you know me. But, that, but they looked really old, and, and I remember thinking, boring. This is boring. These are a bunch of people following a bunch of rules that obviously doesn't make them happy. So why would I want in on this? So I just said, forget it. And from the time I was old enough to say I'm not going, I didn't go. But then, somebody introduced me to this relationship that I could have several years later, independent of any religion or any man-made church. And then I found that relationship. here's Here's what religion misses. What religion messes up. See, religion focuses on externals. Religion focuses on form instead of substance. For instance, if I were to go home tonight and I were to take my wife some flowers and I were to have loaded our favorite song on the iPod and taken her these flowers and said, honey, I've, I've got reservations at your favorite restaurant in town and I want you to come out. Let's go. I've got babysitters. Don't worry about it. And, and she gets in the car and our song is playing and, and we have this wonderful conversation all the way to the restaurant. And we get to the restaurant and we're sitting across the table actually talking to each other, not just looking at each other. And, and I'm, I've read this book, you know, so I know all these things I'm supposed to say. And I'm, I'm saying, oh, you're wonderful. I love you. I'm building her up with my words. And, and, and she's just feeling like he's finally getting it, you know, 14 years of marriage and, and finally he's getting it. And then we go home and it's just a wonderful evening. And then, and then next Sunday, I show up and I do the same thing again. Same flowers, same song, same restaurant, same route, same words, same meal. And I sit there and say the same thing. At that point, she's probably going, hmm. And she saw me out in the lobby between services and she was like, you just give it a try. <laughs> just give it a shot. See what happens. But what if, what if I did that week after week after week and I said the same things? Guys, try this week going and getting some flowers and going up to your wife and say, Honey, I read that husbands are supposed to get wives flowers. And because of that, and I'm your husband and you're my wife, I would like to give you these flowers on behalf of all husbands of the world. (laughs) What do you think she would do with those flowers? You would probably get hit over the head with them. 
She would be saying, hey, hey, dummy, anybody can go through a, a, a little system. Anybody can memorize all those lines. Anybody can be a robot. Anybody could do all the things you've been doing the last few weeks. I would be focusing on the form and not the substance. She would be saying, hey, I want some variety. Hey, I want you to stop just focusing on, the, on all these outward things. I want you to talk to me. Don't just say the same things over and over and over. Let's get some spice in this relationship. Stop focusing on just the form, the how-to, and focus on the heart, on the relationship. Which one would your wife, would your husband prefer? See, if I did that, I would be mistaking form for substance. That's what religion does. It focuses on form. That's what people in this church that we're looking at were expected to do to get it all right on the outside. If you read every word that Jesus taught, you will never find him calling people to a new religion. Never. In fact, Jesus was one of the most irreligious leaders that ever walked on the earth. He was constantly messing up religious rules. He was constantly just freaking out the religious leaders of the day because he was calling people out of religion into a relationship with him that didn't focus on the forms, that focused on the substance. So he said things like this in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees. Those are the religious people. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Remember last week I talked about the, the cup And somebody that's thirsty, you give them a cup full of water that's going to quench their thirst and they just start licking the outside. Not only is it gross, and I wouldn't touch the cup after that, but the substance is what's on the inside. And you would think, well, that's weird. You're thirsty. Why are you just licking the outside of the cup? The outside will never take care of what's on the inside. The form won't accomplish what you need. The form will never get to the heart of the matter, but the substance, what's on the inside, will. So Jesus was constantly just just totally making angry the religious leaders and religious people. One day he said to them in Matthew chapter 5, you can read through this, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, starts in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said. Here's something you've heard, you religious people. Don't murder. And I figure when he said that, everybody's like, cool, I got that one down. You know, don't, don't murder anybody. You know, I haven't had a hard time not murdering someone. I really haven't. I mean, I don't have teenagers in my house yet, maybe. Maybe when I do, I will. But I don't remember ever struggling. Should I kill that person or should I not? So when, when, when Jesus says don't murder, it's like, got that one down. But he takes it a little bit deeper. And he says, no, I don't, I don't want you to murder anybody. Don't, don't physically kill anybody. I don't want you to kill people with your words. I don't want you to kill people with your attitudes. Now, if the definition of murder changes from something you do outward and physically to end someone's life, if it comes over and it's changed to something that happens on the inside because of your words, because of your thoughts, because of your attitudes, how many of us have committed murder? See, Jesus knew The outside will not take care of the inside. But you work on the inside, the substance, what's on the inside of the cup. Start working on that, and the outside just has a way of taking care of itself. 
The, the form follows the substance, not the other way around. And religion gets it backwards and says, if you focus on this form, then all the inside is going to be okay. And so people live their lives with baggage and with guilt because the form of their life never got to the heart of the matter. Another thing religion does, religion puts the letter over the spirit. In, in the book, The End of Religion by, by Bruxy Cave, you can pick that book out, up out at the info booth, by the way. It's the book that inspired this whole series. He tells this story about how tradition got started. Because tradition really just, just messes, can just mess people up. It's not evil by itself, but it can become something that just messes people up. So what if God said, God's people shall not sit in red chairs? He didn't say that. What if he did? Just go, imagine with me. One of the commands, God said, don't sit in red chairs. Religious people come along, and, and maybe very good-hearted religious people, and say, well, God doesn't want us to sit in a red chair, so let's not even go within 10 feet of a red chair. That will keep people from sitting in a red chair, so don't even go within 10 feet. And then the next generation comes along, and they never experienced the original desire of God not to sit in a red chair, so they say, hey, God doesn't want us to sit in a red chair. We're not supposed to go within 10 feet. You know what? Let's not even go in a room with a red chair. Let's just stay away from any room that's got a red chair in it. So see, they're building this fence, this hedge around what God's desire is, keeping people really away from it. And then the next generation comes along, and they're like, don't even think about a red chair. I mean, you think about a red chair, it's going to be the smoking section for you for all eternity because red chairs are bad. Stay away from them. And then the next generation, and whatever they say, the next generation. And then before you know it, people are burdened down when all God said was don't sit in a red chair. Religion focuses on the letter over the spirit. And traditions can load people down with things they were never meant to carry. And loads of people in Colossae, they were dealing with religion. They were being told all this extra baggage is going to help you connect with God, and it didn't work because they missed the spirit of the law. That's why Jesus said, you teachers are burdening people down with rules that they can't carry with things that they can't do. You're making them worry about whether or not they think about a red chair when God's design was just don't sit in a red chair. Jesus had little tolerance for the things that complicated faith. No religion will ever take care of your guilt. Only a relationship with Christ will. That's why when when you read through this letter called Colossians, that he, the writer Paul continually reminds people that Christ is supreme. And now they have, th- these people and us have access, direct access to God. We don't have to go some through religious ritual. See, up until Jesus came, they had the temple. And if you wanted to meet with God, you, you went to the temple, but you couldn't actually go in the part of the temple where they said God dwelt. There was this, this, big, this big curtain that separated the holy place where God kind of was to the most holy place where God, they believed God literally dwelled. And so you would go into the kind of holy place and, and you would talk to this kind of holy priest and this really kind of holy priest would go into this place where God was on your behalf. Well, the night, the, the, the day that Jesus Christ died, 
that curtain, that literal curtain that was between where people could be uh, on one side of God or with God, that literal curtain was just torn down. It was just ripped apart to show the world. You, you don't even have to worry about the temple anymore. That, that there is no separation between you and God. There's no, there's no religious person you have to go to that's going to usher you into the presence of God. You can boldly walk in to the presence of God. And that is what Paul is trying to get these people to understand. It's different now. It's not the same anymore. And it's still the same for us today. That's why it's about having this this individual experience that leads you to a relationship with God. So what does all that mean for us today? Are you dealing with guilt? Are you dealing with shame? Has somebody in your life made the call against you? Has somebody told you you're not good enough? Somebody tried to be your umpire? Don't believe them. If you're like me, there's probably been a time in your life where you tried to rid yourself of emotional baggage, relational baggage, that you were not, even religious baggage, that you were not designed to carry. Listen what Colossians chapter 2 says. God made you alive in Christ. He forgave our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. That written code, that that thing that was against me, that's the umpire saying, you don't measure up, you're not good enough. The original word for written code, those two words came from one word in Greek called karyographon, and it refers to an IOU, a debt. And what he's saying is, you owe something that religion will never repay. You owe something that you're trying to get, you're trying to pay it back by these things you're doing, and it's never going to work. What if somebody showed up at your house with your mortgage paper, your mortgage bill, and they said, hey, I want you to know I got this taken care of for you. Yeah, you signed you were going to pay it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay it all for you. Well, after the huge celebration, you know, and let, inviting your friends over saying, it's my house now, you, you would be amazed that somebody just came and just wrote it out. Because what if they showed up and said, you owe it all today? Most of us couldn't pay it. That's what Jesus Christ did to that old way of thinking. That's what Jesus Christ did to religion. He got rid of it and invited people into a relationship. He showed people the spirit of the law. He showed people the substance and that written code, that tradition, the effort of trying to make things right through religion or what it looks like on the outside was over. What he's saying that is that years of Religion, maybe in your case, years of guilt, can all be taken away. If you're not a Christ follower, you you need to know that. That guilt, that baggage, that stuff you deal with, all of that can be taken away. And if you are a Christ follower, you need to live every day enjoying and knowing that and living the life that you were meant to live. That feeling of never quite getting past your baggage that feeling of never quite getting past the guilt, you never designed to live that way. All that guilt, all that shame, that's all been canceled. We don't have to live with it. We can move past it. Because in Christ, which is what this whole book of Colossians is about, 
in Christ, we have everything we need. He is supreme over our guilt and over our baggage. So no matter how many times you've tried to get rid of it and couldn't, let today be the day you finally say, I'm getting rid of it. Take a look at the screen. Something like this, I wish, I wish uh, our facility and our time let us say, hey, if you need to talk to somebody, come and talk to somebody. If you need to talk to somebody, if you think, I need to know how to get this guilt gone. I need to know the steps to take. I need to know how to engage in that relationship. Mark that on the back of your WhatsApp card, and somebody will be in touch with you very quickly. You can release the guilt, the shame, the baggage. You don't have to live with it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much how we can read a book that's written 2,000 years ago and we can apply it to our lives today. God, for even if there's just one person here that's trying to, to get rid of their guilt and get rid of their baggage, I pray that you would just motivate them to, to talk or to check it on their card 
and start the process of beginning that relationship with you. Jesus, thank you that we're called to a relationship and not religion. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.